Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Master Instructor Roundtable. I'm Marty Miller, Regional Master Instructor, as always, with my fellow Regional Master Instructor and dear friend, Miss Wendy Batts. Wendy, how are you? I'm good, Marty. How are you? Excellent. So as you can see, I'm in a different location again. So I know. Where's Waldo this week? I'm in Denver, <laughs> nice. and I will be in a new location next week. So it's, you know, it's going to be part of this uh, traveling roadshow we have now. I love it. You know what? Well, at least you're making it making time for us, Marty. I feel very yeah, privileged. I wouldn't miss it. <laughs> well, that brings us to this awesome topic today, um, which is going to be a carryover from last week. Uh, last week, obviously, we talked about some cardiorespiratory um, assessments and how you could take your clients through um, some of the proper assessments. So we went over, you know, proper setup, execution, and then how to get the proper information in order to best serve your client's needs and to help you um, program cardio within their actual workouts or even on their off days. So if you happen to miss that last week, you wanna make sure you check that out because today we're actually gonna say, now that you have the information, what do you do with it? <laughs> Absolutely. And I think that, you know, some of the points we talked about last week, of course, we're going to reiterate a little bit, but it's just one of those things where I really want personal trainers to be a little more proactive in their cardiorespiratory training, not just, hey, you know, how much, how many calories can I burn and or go do cardio on your own. We want to find that happy medium where we're eliciting the right responses, but still using that same systematic approach we do with the rest of the model. Absolutely. And, and, and it is. And, and it's also about being creative. I think that's one thing that sometimes we we forget that we feel like it has to be like has to be this exact process. And one thing that we really want to remember that every body is different. And so therefore, there's going to be different stages that are going to be more appropriate on the cardio side, just like there's different phases of training in the OPT model. And so just because, you know, we go through some of this, you're going to have to really factor in what is it that they're, you know, I guess, what is their current state? Where do they fit in? Like, you know, do they go ahead and jump into stage two because they run marathons or an unbelievable cardiovascular health and, and shape? Or do we need them to look at someone that's extremely deconditioned? And how do we get them even to a proper stage one where they can be effective and start to reap the benefits of not just the cardio, but also their proper movement patterns and everything along those lines? Yeah. And, you know, I think there's kind of two camps. There's people who love cardio and probably don't program much because they just go and they love doing what they've always done. And there's people that dread cardio and they don't program because they just dread it, where I really think that going through the assessment, getting people to move well, and then adding systematic cardiovascular programming really works for both sides of those kind of on the either end of that teeter-totter with when it comes to cardio respiratory training, that the people that love cardio they might be overtraining in one stage. They may not even understand the other stages, getting them to move well, obviously with the other part of the model that we talk about all the time with correctives and stabilization will help them be better at any part of their cardio. And then for the people who maybe dread cardio, maybe it's because they've had bad experiences that when they did it, they did too much or at too high of intensity. And of course, we always will factor in how well they're moving from the musculoskeletal standpoint. That's not what we're here to talk about today, but always blending those together. 
Yes, and you can definitely overtrain too. I mean, when you think about it, you know, we think overtraining just on a on an exercise standpoint when we're talking about lifting weights and doing different types of phases of training. When in all reality, like you said, there is a proper progression when we're looking at stages of, of proper, you know, cardiorespiratory fitness and how someone fits into the fact, you know, factor. But again, it's all going to be based off the assessment. You yep. need to have a foundation. You need to have that starting point in order to truly help someone achieve their goals. Plus, I, I know you know this, and I kind of mentioned this a little bit last week. I think it's important for us to also just bring to the forefront that you're going to have those clients that they walk into the gym or at home, they have their one piece of a cardio equipment and it has their name on it. There could be five different treadmills out there, but there's that one that they love and they get on every single time. They'll even wait for it if somebody's on there. And that's what they do. That's their form of cardio. Mm -hmm. And in all reality, you want to switch it up because your body will adapt. Just like when we do the phases of training, your body will adapt to those, um, you know, specific forms of whatever it is that you're doing. And you're not working as hard as you may think you are. Um, if your body has, you know, that's become easy for you. So you want to challenge it up, switch up your pieces of equipment that will also change your heart rate. So therefore, when you're working out for 30 minutes, instead of just always doing a treadmill, maybe switch it up and do, you know, the bike or the stair mill or the rower. I mean, there's so many different forms and, but you have to make sure it's safe. You have to make sure that it makes sense for the client, that they understand how to use it correctly. And also too, that they maintain the proper, you know, heart rate zones that we're going to talk about within each stage. Yeah, and then in addition to that, don't be afraid to take them outside when appropriate, right? You've mm -hmm. got the agility quickness that we'll talk about and all that other fun stuff that uh, that you can put in there. So good things coming from this master instructor roundtable. I hope so. So right. basically, we kind of talked a little bit about what we were going to cover, but um, we are definitely going to go over the RPE, so the rate of perceived exertion. We're going to talk about the ratings and just quickly, again, go over the charts. Um, primarily, this is what NASM recommends, especially for people that are new to the gym or that are extremely deconditioned. Plus, I mean, if, you know, when you're getting into the higher stages, they may have to wear a heart rate monitor in order to, you know, make sure that they're staying within the proper zones and you can kind of see their recovery in between intervals. Um, so there are different forms, but again, it's going to, the stage will kind of determine this, but RPE is definitely an easy way. Um, of finding out how your client's feeling, even though it is subjective. Um, cardio, you know, warm up, you need to warm up. And then, you know, I, in warming up, when people walk into the gym and they go straight to the bike or straight to the treadmill, that is not what we're talking about. There are specific, you know, protocols you want to follow, especially if there's compensations that exist. So therefore you're minimizing those compensations when they go and decide to do, you know, their five to 10 minute warm up on whatever piece of equipment they're going to do. Um, so warming up before they actually do cardio should be completely different. Not the same thing. Don't do cardio to warm up. And then also, obviously we're going to talk a little bit about cooling down and the importance of that. And then we are going to briefly discuss the different stages of training. So if you look through your new NASM textbook, you're going to see stages one through five. And, um, you know, it's really good content. I think it explains it very, very well. And we actually put a lot of that information in this PowerPoint, along with some of the charts for you to reference as we speak about them. Excellent. There you have it. There you have it. <laughs> so I, I give you a quick break and I'll jump in here. How's that? Fantastic. Wendy and I discussed this again last week. So we'll, we'll briefly go over here is the rate of perceived exertion is a very simple way to truly let your clients have an understanding and a communication style on how they're feeling. So you'll see here, 
when we go back to the slide that there's two ways you can do it that you know one through ten or zero through ten and then that kind of that six through twenty so in nasm we like to stick to that zero through ten i like that because most times maybe it's my athletic trainer days you know would say on a scale one to ten how bad does it hurt people can quantify things on a scale of one to ten in my mind easier but feel free to use what you think best but you'll see that you know we're going to go from very very light all the way up to like oh my god i can't maintain this anymore <laughs> Right. So, and again, we talked also about the talk test. So there's more content that you give from last week. But the way I always talked about it is in that zero through 10 is in that talk test, if they're zero through three or four, they can talk to me the entire time. Like they're walking, we're having a good conversation. There's never a break, never I'm catching my breath and then picking back up in the middle range, that kind of four, five, six, they're talking, but now the sentences are a little more fragmented or they're shorter answers. And I always joked when I was explaining this to my clients, if I get you to an eight, nine or 10, you want to slap me for talking to you because you're not going to be really speaking back for at least a couple seconds. So again, the purpose of training, whether it's what we always cover in our resistance training, or now that we're transitioning to cardiorespiratory, our job is to elicit the best physiological response with the least amount of risk. And the least amount of effort, and I'll pause you for a second. People think I'm nuts when I say this. My job when I did more one-on-one -on -one personal training, or now that I train myself, obviously, is how much can I change physiologically with the least amount of effort? That doesn't mean I don't work hard. That means I work efficiently. That means I don't overtrain. And a lot of times, especially now with this high intensity, people are truly overtraining. We're not even gonna talk about what happens when you have a faulty movement system. This is why people, don't get results or they need to stop training for a while. So remember, our job is to give the right amount of exercise for that person at that time so we can continually move through a progressive training program. And there will be times that you downregulate or undulate their program back because you can't do high intensity or the eight, nine, 10 rate of perceived exertion for weeks upon weeks upon weeks. So this is where you can get fun with the programming and really start to break down the science. And at the end of the day, if you're going to get your clients better results and they actually train smarter, that's a win-win. Very well said. <laughs> cool. All right. So if we move on and, you know, again, if you guys remember these charts, they are in your textbook, but you know, when we talked about warming up now, when we talk about warming up, one of the things that Marty and I were both discussing, you know, if your clients, you know, when you're looking at their assessment results and you notice that they have compensations, it's very, very important that you have them grab a foam roller if it, you know, is deemed safe, meaning that there's no contraindications and that's, you know, something that your client can do, or even using one of the handheld devices and try to warm up the muscles that have shown to be overactive. Because again, if somebody walks in and their feet are externally rotated or they're having, you know, their knees are caving in and then you put them on, on a treadmill and tell them to walk or warm up for five to 10 minutes at, you know, either a walk or a slight jog, then those compensations, you're just feeding in even more to those compensations and you could increase the chances of injury. And so when you're thinking about that, grab, you know, tell them to come in, grab some, you know, grab a foam roller if, if deemed safe, have them foam roll some of these areas. Think about the positives of just rolling, because again, that's going to increase circulation, increase blood flow to the tissues. That's also increasing someone's body temperature as well. And so it's it's kind of a win-win when you're looking at just that. 
And then if they need to go through some static stretches on the areas that again are overactive, that's going to be beneficial to how they're going to you know, produce force and do whatever it is on the actual cardio piece of equipment. But if we look here and actually think about the actual chart itself, the benefits of just cardiorespiratory exercise in general, I mean, we're going to, you're, you're going to be stronger and more efficient, you know, meaning your heart, it's a muscle. And so therefore you need to train that muscle accordingly. And it's not about just doing, you know, high intensity workouts. It's actually, you know, trying to do different types of ways to challenge your heart, you know, because that's going to lead to, you know, a, a lower resting heart rate. That's going to, you know, let you know again, too, that your heart rate at any given level of work is also going to, to not have to work as hard as you actually work it out and it gets stronger. And so, I mean, I'm not going to go through each one of these points, yeah. but you can see there are so many positive benefits by including this respiratory exercise into your warm up and then just in general. And, um, and we'll talk about ways again to undulate it because it may be more appropriate to do some of the cardiorespiratory, you know, um, programs on days that they don't work out. However, if you have to combine the two, what do you do? You know, so we'll talk about that as well. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. No, and the key thing here is we purposely put the table in there that uh, you'll find this within the NASM CPT mm-hmm. text. There we go. So moving on. So again, when we're talking about cool down, there are so many benefits to cool down. So again, we're trying to reduce, you know, your heart and your breathing rates. We're trying to cool your body temperature down. So basically what we're overall, we're actually trying to return the muscles back to their optimal resting lengths. And, you know, we usually do this by having someone, if if they did some kind of high intensity, or let's say that they even ran or did something on the treadmill for, you know, 20 to 30 minutes, then spend some time cooling down for, you know, anywhere from five to 10 minutes on that same piece of equipment, or maybe something that might be easier for that client even. And then again, provide them with the, the foam roller and do some static stretches because I have a mentor um, that's a little bit different than, than Dr. Clark, who always said, and you're going to know this, Marty, because he was yours as well. However, you walk into the gym is, is one way, and however you leave is another way. However, what, if you don't do anything when you leave and you work out, you're going to come back into the gym a mess. So if you can try to restore yourself back to you know normal rest or normal length, then when you come in, you're probably less likely to have some of those additional compensations that you would have had and, you know, without spending time foam rolling, stretching and actually doing the proper cool down to help your body um, long term. Absolutely. The two key components that I think a lot of people often skip, they just get in there and expect to start working out and leave. And it's can't forget the warm up and cool down. Yes. Easy to do, but you should not. <laughs> Off the stage one. All right. Stage one, I'll take this one if you want, Marty, but stage one is basically benefit, you know, it's most beneficial for people that are new to exercise or that have not been doing any kind of cardio or as Marty said, don't like cardio. Um, Obviously, they probably don't have a very good foundation. And so this to me is the foundation stage, just like a phase one, um, you know, exercise uh, program would be. It's the same kind of I don't want to call them parallel, but in a, in a way it is. And so we're really trying to get a good base. And that's why the assessments are so important because you really do need to know how your client is going to respond. And you may also have to start, you know, with just a few minutes at a time. 
you know, if, if somebody is new to this, you don't want to say, okay, I want you to go on the treadmill and give me what you have for 30 minutes. That may not be ideal. Plus they're not going to like it. And they may be working harder than they should be at this point in, in their programming. And so again, just start off with a few minutes at a time and work your way up to approximately 20 to 30 minutes. And so the purpose of this is to design and help improve your, you know, cardiovascular fitness especially if you're dealing with people that are healthy, but also that have been sedentary. And as I said, it's going to build, you know, a good foundation of fitness. So therefore you can be able to always know where your stage one is. So when you start to add on some of these stages that are just more for intervals, your body will be able to go back to, um, you know, VT one or under, um, because your body knows how, you know, you've got a good foundation and you're able to do that appropriately and your body knows what to expect. So here we're looking again for your steady state aerobic exercise and you should be able to hold a conversation or your client should be able to talk to you in stage one. So as Marty said, you know, three to five, you want it to be challenging. You don't want them just to do a stroll, but if they're showing that they're, you know, really struggling doing this, they're above their VT1. And so therefore you want to slow them down or decrease the incline or whatever it is that may be a little bit more challenging. So therefore they can achieve that steady state and stay there for the duration. Yeah. And this is again, you know, great for beginners for obvious reasons, but this is where I think a lot of our high intensity type of people, they think they're past this. Mm-hmm. And yes, cardiovascular, this will not be a challenge for you, but that doesn't mean there still is not a benefit to doing that. That I want you to correlate it is, hey, I've moved to power phase in the OPT model. I'll never need stabilization training again. That's not the way these things work. There's always going to be a reason to regulate and undulate through the different phases. So I know with cardio, a lot of people think, well, I graduated from that. I don't need that anymore. But your body does still need a base of that at some point in time. Or these are what I like to say. These are my active days, not my exercise days when somebody is incredibly fit, right? So just understand the stage one is not only for people new to exercise. And it's a really, as you said, it's an active recovery day. So mm-hmm. why not do a stage one, especially, especially after you did a really hard workout. This right. is fantastic because it's going to actually help decrease some of the muscle soreness and something that you've done prior to that, you know, prior to the day beforehand. So when they come in, you're working some of that out, you're getting movement back into the muscles and working on proper, um, you know, just proper ways to get your heart rate up, get the blood flowing. Um, and so, so when you're thinking of stage one, especially if you are in those high intensity workouts or you, you know, went to boot camp, do this because you're going to see a lot of benefit if you do. Absolutely. Yep. So then if we go and look at the the next slide, you can just see here again, the different zones. And so, you know, these are again, hypothetical. This is an example of what we're talking about when we go through and we start showing some of these charts. And so again, as you can see, the client's going to start slowly and gradually work their way up to 30 minutes. And then once they can achieve the 30 minutes, then, you know, you may be able to, to then increase them into what we're going to talk about next, which is stage two, but then also undulate it from stage one and stage two again. So therefore, you know, you're really going to maximize what we're trying to do in stage two by knowing that you can handle easily a stage one and your heart can, can maintain, you know, get back to steady state without being above and beyond and either anaerobic or, or whatever thresholds that we may be doing at that time. Absolutely. Well said. Thanks, man. So, so Marty, why don't you talk about stage two here? Yeah. 
so here, you know, again, these are the key bullet points. So now we're getting into aerobic interval. So this is going to be people that have kind of now gotten a baseline in that stage one. This isn't something you may necessarily start with somebody that's brand new off the couch, hasn't trained. That's why we have a stage one. But this is for somebody now that's ready for that next level. So now we can move them progressively towards the higher stages. So this is now going to focus on increasing the workload. Now that could be speed, that could be incline, that could be resistance, combination of all of those, depending on what piece of cardiovascular equipment they're using or what activity they're using. So this is great for people who regularly engage in physical activity or recreational sports, because now take a tennis player, right? They're they need a baseline of cardiovascular fitness or cardiorespiratory training. But now for bits and periods of time, they have to move a little bit quicker and bring their heart rate down, let it go up, bring it back down. So this is that nice transition into that. So this is also great for people who've been training on that one piece of equipment for five years, the first treadmill for 30 minutes at three miles an hour, and they've never got out of stage one. So this would be a great way to transition them to say, hey, you've been doing that for so long. Let's now work towards something else. So this is good for generalized fitness, weight loss, et cetera. So this interval will be just above their VT1, which we, for anybody that's new, we went over that a lot in, or a ton in the previous master instructor roundtable. So let's, you can always go back and then really dive into what that VT1 and you'll see VT2 here in a little bit. If we're going to talk and use that talk test. So before initiating that stage two workout, the fitness professional should perform the talk test, determine what that VT1 is. So just like we always say reassess when you change into a phase of training, this would be a good time. Somebody does their stage one for three to four weeks. Now we reassess them, find out maybe where their heart rate is now. Has it moved up a little bit? And can we now move their heart rate to higher levels? The, the answer is going to be yes in most cases, or we wouldn't go into stage two. So when we look also at the rate of perceived exertion, this is going to be moderate to challenging during the longer duration intervals, okay? Not the entire part of the workout, but when you let them go into one of those intervals, it should be moderate to challenging, not unbelievably hard, I can't do anymore. Mm -hmm. So that's what you'll see here. So when we go to the next slide, we'll show it graphically again. We'll show the imagery of what one of those workouts will look like. So what you'll see here is we do the warm up. Then for about a minute, again, don't be afraid if it has to be under a minute for now, we're okay with that. We're just giving you a timeline. So for one minute, they would go into zone two. So if they're on a bike, they might go from 60 RPMs to 80 RPMs. Then, then for three minutes, they're going to go back to that recovery at three minutes. Then they go to 80 RPMs again, back to three. Obviously, you guys can follow along with that. And then, of course, we want to give them that cool down. So great introduction to aerobic interval training. And then from here, the intensities can be varied throughout the workout. So my first minute interval could be from 60 to 70 RPM. My second interval could be from seven, you know, from 60, I went to 70, now I go to 75. So there's ways, again, I can play around with the intensity. So I can keep them all the same. I can kind of ladder them, however is best for that client. Then when we look at uh, the intervals, it should be 30 to 60 seconds. If somebody's fatiguing way too quick under 30 seconds, Either they're not ready for this or the intensity you picked for their interval is more than what they're capable of for zone two. So it's probably not that they're not ready for zone two. You just might have increased the speed, incline, resistance too much. So shoot for that 30 seconds to a minute to start out for sure. And then over time, now we can play around with the work to rest ratios. So you go from one to three, one to two, one to one. So the more you shrink down the work to rest ratio where they're working equal to their rest instead of 
were, uh, having rest greater than their work, they're getting more fit. And when we say the rest, they're still moving. It's just at that lower zone one. So this is an awesome way to make uh, training more exciting. And they're going to see some amazing physiological benefits from it. And again, it's the perfect bridge towards high intensity training. Yes. And, and one question that I've always gotten to is in stage two, you know, do I have to do intervals? Well, in the very beginning, because your body is now learning, you're going above your VT1, your body doesn't know how to deal with that. And the more that you do these type of, you know, uh, rest to work ratios, as Marty just mentioned, you are going to be able to withstand and, and possibly, you know, change up to where you're actually doing work and then resting less periods too. So you are actually going to change those numbers. So yes, I mean, eventually in, in stage two, can you do it for time? You absolutely can without it having to be a specific interval. However, in the beginning, when somebody is actually really going through this, doing intervals, with really evaluating their VT1, knowing where their threshold is and being able to play around with it is extremely challenging because I can guarantee my VT1 is going to be completely different than Marty's. Marty is a cardio, he is a cardio man. I, you know, it's just not my, not my thing. I'd rather, you know, lift weights and move on, but you know what, in order for me to get to Marty's level, I would have to really go through, especially in stage two at a lower work to, to rest ratio ratio than Marty, or we would have probably some significant numbers for mm -hmm. sure. So giving you some kudos there. There you go. I appreciate that. So, I'm trying to be well-rounded. It was, you know, as I, you are, you are way, way to make me look great. What's that? <laughs> I said another way to make me look. Oh, so great. So <laughs> yeah, we're a great team. here. So do you want me to transition right into stage two steady state? Sure. That so would be great. You, you kind of already touched on it. So I'll fly through it. So we started with the intervals, but yes, you could do the steady state. So this is awesome when you have somebody that's accustomed to uh, stage two intervals. Great choice when they're ready to change it up. So you could do stage two intervals on Monday, stage two steady state on Wednesday. A lot of cool, fun things you can do with it. And this is where I love what we've designed here with the stage training because I think people got bored and kind of flat with the programming. They just said, do cardio and let's go to high intensity. So we took this right out of the text. So this is nothing new, but you know, we really like to reiterate the key bullet points here. So stage two, steady state is not a requirement, but it's an option. Maybe someone who prefers steady state, or maybe depending on where you're training, the equipment doesn't allow them to have something that is uh, non-aggressive uh, on their body, right? Like, you know, sometimes it just depends on what equipment you have. Or maybe they're just like, listen, I don't, I don't want to mess around going back and forth. I like this and we'll go do steady, whatever it works. It's fine. But the science is there. So it's great. We want to progress them. So it's that moderately intense aerobic activity, which has been proven to be effective for anybody seeking improvements in fitness and cardiovascular health. And this is what I've always told my clients is your heart is a phenomenal muscle. It's going to adapt. So if you've been doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result, why you don't lose weight, why you maybe feel that you can't, you know, participate in activities and, you know, I, I train all the time. I don't know why I don't have more energy. There's the rest, there's the nutrition, there's stress, but a lot of people do not move the needle with their cardio. So imagine doing 15 pound bicep curls for 30 years and expecting a change. It's better than not doing them. But what if you could have been at 40 pound dumbbells by then if you had progressed, right? So this is the same thing. So this is awesome. So that intensity in zone two is just above the VT1 for the duration of the exercise without the use of intervals. And then again, with the RPE here, moderate to challenging during the longer duration, challenging to hard if and above when they go above VT1. Very well said. 
And I will say this too, with some of the professional athletes, we oh. take this for granted. Yeah. And, you know, we have people that, that can run, they do hill, hills and stuff like that outside. They, they have an SAQ coach, if you will. And I was like, you know what, like one day let's go to the pool. And they're like, oh, yeah. I don't usually like to, to go into the water. And I'm like, no, no. And they had a, a waterproof heart rate monitor. And I was like, I just want to see how you, how you do. Now, again, these people can do cardio. They have, they're super explosive and they have a very good base and foundation. However, when I put them in the water and had them try just to do, you know, basic, basic strokes down and back, their heart rate shot through the roof because it was something that was completely different. Correct. They had to use, you know, their lungs in a different capacity. They were using their muscles in a totally different way. And while it's easier on the joints, it's way harder if you don't train for that type of mm -hmm. you know, particular quote sport or at that time, just cardio. And so just keep in mind that different things will trigger heart rates to go up and down quicker than you think if it's something that the body isn't accustomed to. And so that's why when I said that in the very beginning, change it up and do different things with people, you still want it to be fun because again, if they don't enjoy it, they won't want to do it. Correct. And so, you know, think about, you know, it, we talk about fit and all that stuff in the textbook, you know, about frequency, intensity and time and, and enjoyment. Enjoyment is a big one. And so you want to make sure that they are having fun um, in order to get the benefits truly and, and have them actually do it. <laughs> you got it. So yeah. obviously we'll show the graph here. It's going to be pretty simple. So as we move forward here, so we've got the warm up, then the extended period of time in zone two, and then the cool down. So very easy, good for weight loss clients, people who are new to exercise, but they've graduated from stage one. And, you know, this is great for just general health and wellness and promoting that healthy body weight because being active for prolonged periods of time is key. Yes. And that brings us to stage three. Gotta love stage three. Absolutely. Stage three, guys, is hard, like very hard, like vigorous hard. And so this is going to be designed for somebody that is more advanced for sure. And that has, you know, a very good base of, 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 of cardiovascular like foundation, they have, they can do stage one, they've done intervals, they can do steady state, they are, they are in really good shape. And so this is going to increase the capacity of aerobic and anaerobic energy systems. And so when you're thinking about this, this is going to be more, this is truly more sprint focused. And so, you know, you're going to look that it's anywhere from doing something like 30 to 60 second intervals versus minutes at a time. And so when we go through and really look at these bullet points again, this is not going to be, you know, applicable for all of your clients, meaning there's going to be certain clients that, you know, they don't like, they don't like cardio. They're not doing cardio. They're extremely deconditioned. But then again, if they don't need to get to these higher levels, then that's okay to keep them in stage one and two. And so just realize that this is, you know, one way of just increasing your overall fit, physical fitness. And, and, but, you know, there are very specific ways to program stage three. And so now we're really needing to know what our true V1 and VT2 are before we really implement a true stage three. So going through and listening to what we talked about last week, getting those those numbers and making sure they're pretty solid um, is going to be very, very important. Um, because, you know, when we're doing the talk test at VT1, talking is going to become a challenge, but still not too difficult. But then when we get to VT2, these people can barely speak a word or two. And so when Marty said, you know, well, you know, my clients don't like me. Well, they don't, my clients don't like me because they can't even tell me that they don't like me. However, I know at that point, I may need to run. Um, but, you know, you're going to see. Contact. 
I know, right? Or yeah, or different motions with their hands. But mm -hmm. um, so we're talking about RPE. I mean, you want to think about that. They're going to be at a very, very high level. They're going to be at the highest level too, um, especially when they are getting into these intervals of anywhere from 30 to 60 seconds. So then if we go back and you know look at the next you know slide here, this is going to be very client specific too, because it's got to be on pieces of equipment that they actually um, like, they feel safe on, and they know how to use. That's going to be very, very important. And so this is going to you know actually use now stages one, two, and three, but you want to also make sure that you're not getting into stage four. So that's why knowing those boundaries and knowing your numbers is going to be super, super important. And as a general rule, you want to have a modest mix of the time spent in zone one. So you're going to spend a lot of time here in zone one, but then you're going to have brief periods in zone two and three, and then you're going to have to take them back into stage one. So you're really, really looking at, okay, you're building a progression. So you're going to be in stage one. You're going to go right into stage two. That's going to be a little bit longer um, than what you're going to hit when you like, again, like the 30 to 60 seconds. So, within these training days at this level, you're going to want to rotate these stages. And when you're doing a stage three, or when we talk about stage four and five, even you're going to want to think on the opposite days, you're going to want to do more of the, the, the steady state or even stage one type cardio um, programs, because if not, this can lead to overtraining, especially if they're having a really hard workout either prior or if it's the, the next day. So this should pretty much make you spent. It should be very difficult, but try not to go from like a power day into a stage three day back into, you know, another like, you know, state or phase four, you know, where you're doing, you know, one rep max and maximum capacity and intensity in your workouts. So just be smart in your programming. And again, it's going to be very specific to the client. Um, but also just remember, it's very important not to overtrain. Yeah, no, Wendy, I think you covered it so well. And the key thing is, this is why we have a model. This is why we focus on proper human movement, because when fatigue sets in, form and technique are likely to go out the window. So that's why it's very important to build towards it, understand what to look for, and have, as he said, make sure it's an apparatus or technique that they own. So that way, as fatigue sets in, they're less likely to break down in their form and technique. They will. You'll have to cue them, but a lot less likely. Perfect. You want to take us to stage four? Absolutely. So here we go. So this is now for somebody that's advanced that has earned the right to get there. I love to say that for a lot of things in life, but they've worked towards this. They didn't just get off the couch and say, you know what, I'm going to XYZ boot camps and people do it, but you know, they have not earned the right to get there. So now this is absolutely going to increase the capacity of the anaerobic energy system very applicable for high level athletes and fitness enthusiasts. They're really truly seeking overall improvement in the anaerobic capacity and power, not appropriate for all our clients. There will be some clients you train that will never get to stage four and that is okay. Now someone's going to say, well, what about this, that, the other, there might be certain circumstances where you can find workarounds. Can you maybe do battling ropes? Can you do shadow boxing or maybe something in the pool? Yes. On occasion, you will be able to find those modalities that can still elicit that for somebody. But for the majority of people with the majority of locations where the majority of people train, you, this is going to involve some level of high intensity. So it could be running, jumping. So when we talk about stage four in that capacity, my mom will not do stage four. It's just never going to happen. Maybe I could train her and get her to do some level two and three. And maybe at some point, if she's really dedicated, 
from a seated position, could she dabble with it? So I didn't want to say never, but this is definitely not appropriate for all clients, especially coming right out of the gate, right? So they have to have gotten to that nice, moderate to very high level of physical fitness. So, and there are some people just don't like to be in discomfort. When we say discomfort, it's, are they okay getting that level of fatigue? They're not, we're not talking about discomfort as joint pain and all that, because we would stop it. We wouldn't allow it. So when we say adverse to high intensity training or to discomfort, it's that, wow, I'm really breathing hard. Some people don't, they don't care to ever get to that point. I'm one of the knuckleheads that likes it. That's cool with me. But again, I definitely work towards earning that right to do it. So just like I said, we're not here to show people how hard we can work them. We're here to show how smartly we can progress them through, through a, a process over time. So here the target intensity is to pro, the program for stage four intervals. You got to have those measurements of VT1 to V2. If not, we're guessing just like anything else, the overhead squat assessment, single leg squat. We don't want to guess. So the talk test, the times that they're in their VT1, it can become more challenging because their heart rate's coming down to get them to VT1. And by the time you're ready to go, they just about ready to start talking and then you probably move into the next interval. But they should be able to do it at some point, not too difficult, where when they get to that VT2, it's as Wendy said, it's going to be hard to talk to them and have them respond in more than a word or two. So at first, as they're coming down back into VT1, they're kind of catching their breath. Then they can hold on to a conversation before you take them right back in to that next bout of it. And RPE is going to be at the highest level that we, we push to. So we'll go to the graph. Go to the graph. I'm a visual guy. I am too. So here again, this is one sample. So we're not jumping right into the high intensity, which I see way too often, right? So what you're going to see here is you're going to progress and bop around through and get to it. And as you get through that zone three, sometimes you're going to work hard and maybe they don't quite get to zone four and sometimes they will, but they're not going to be in that zone four very long. So the general rule is they have most of the time spent again in zone one with brief intervals in two, three, and four. Intervals should be very client specific based on their goals, needs, and abilities. The brief intervals in zone two and three and four ensure that the client's working at maximum performance rather than max effort. So the reason we want to put that in there is maximum performance means physiologically there's almost there's only so much time that I can be in that zone of training working off that energy system before that energy system would shut down. I could be putting out more effort, but that doesn't mean that I'm still in that zone of training. So that's why again we it, you know we want to make sure that the, the time frames are correct. So just to reiterate that that maximum performance means I am performing physiologically in that zone of training. There are people that will push past, but there's something has to give. Their heart rate could go too high or they're continuing to work, but then their heart rate starts to recover because they just naturally have to slow down, but they're not doing it the way you want them to do it. So it's about executing it properly, not just pushing through to you. Like, I hate to say it, but some people think that it's a badge of honor to be able to like throw up after workout. We don't, we don't <laughs> need that. So when you're training at this level, it's important to rate, rotate through all four stages. Just like Wendy said before, we're not trying to overload somebody for a period of time in one type of stage. And then you've got your opportunities in the recovery days, stage two and three, or I'm sorry, stage one for the recovery. And then you undulate through stage two, three, and four for your training days. 
And I think it's important too, you know, guys, especially if you're going to be working with high end athletes. So for example, you know, we have some Olympic run runners that we're focusing with and this, you know, obviously we would get them to stage four because they are a, um, a candidate for this stage. And there has obviously been a progression to get them to this point. And I know with some of their coaches and actually working with them as well, I'm not their running coach. However, I want to see how they move, how they're running and how their body gets, um, you know, how it gets, how, how does they respond and how does their body move when they get tired? And so when you're talking about the differences, imagine that if you have a runner and let's say they are running, you know, a hundred meters. Okay. So you've got them running. They're sprinting as fast as they can. We're working on maximal performance at that point. How do they get out of the blocks? How are they running and how are they getting to the end goal? And at that point you're timing them and then you're going to let them recover completely so where they feel like they can do it again and then you watch them again and then they recover completely and then we do it again. We're working on performance of that particular sport or in that running to get the best outcome because it's very client specific. When you're doing something like maximum effort, that would be you're running the, the hundred, you're giving them water, telling them to walk back and they're running it again. And then you're giving them water and running it again. So they're giving their max effort with minimal rest in order just to get the amount of, of you know, hundreds ran in a short period of time. And so that is maximal effort in comparison to performance. And so just, just on a, I'm a very visual person. So I needed to kind of see that and understand it because again, until someone really explained that to me, I didn't, you know, I didn't really understand the difference, but mm -hmm. because I was there and I saw it, I'm like, Oh, I totally get it. And so you're going to have better outcomes with maximal performance when you work on that type of stuff and you're letting your heart recovery recover in order to do that huge bout as fast as they can again. Well said. There you go. So then if we move on, um, stage five, do you want me to take this one? Yeah, this will be. Okay. So this I one is more for your high-end sport-specific athletes. And so these are not going to be necessarily, you're going to do cardio for this amount of time, and then you're going to go into different stages or anything like that. This is more looking at like specific drills to help really use um, all three planes of motion and see how your bo or their bodies, your clients' bodies respond in different types of environments, formats, and drills and time. And so when you're looking at that, you're looking at all of this. And so, you know, this is what you normally see when you watch someone at, at football practice, that they're going to be running drills with their coaches. They're going to be doing, you know, a lot of different um, variety of cardio type, um, uh, you know, different cardio, I guess you call them zones, if, if you're mm -hmm. thinking about actually being at practice. And so this is not intended for, you know, a deconditioned individual. It's not even, you know, someone that hasn't successfully gotten out of stages two and three, because it is really trying to take high intensity conditioning and put the different planes of motions and movement patterns in with it. So the target intensity here, again, you know, you're going to have to actually monitor people's heart rates. You're going to see when do they hit their peak? When do they need a, a break? And then you're going to give them what they need. Um, so therefore you don't get them into overtraining or increases their chances of injury. And so, you know, here again, it can be beneficial to monitor using the RPE, you know, and the heart rate. And so you want to be able to kind of see what are, what does your client think is easy? Don't just assume. And then again, how does their body react to either what was you know, seemed to be easy or something that you might think would have been easier for them, but their heart rate shot up and you know that that was really maximal effort at that point. And so if we, you know, look at the, the next, um, 
I don't even think we have a, a graph for this, but if we go to the next slide, you know, it's really just trying to think about stage five. This isn't going to be more specific to the everyday. So I think in general, when we're looking at this, it's going to be because it's so sports specific. This will not be utilized in a lot of your everyday clients programming. And so here, you know, the volume should be kept to a minimum because, you, again, you can't easily get into overtraining. And that's why it's important, especially if your clients are coming to you and even youth, youth, um, you know, clients that come to you and they're actually participating in a sport, you want to find out what they're doing on, in practice. And especially on times or at times that they're getting ready for the season and they have two a days because then they are putting in maximal effort each one of those in each one of those practices. So it would not make sense to actually have them do this in their workouts. If anything, you want to take them back, try to reestablish proper alignment and movement patterns and then leave cardio out of it if they're doing a lot of this stuff on their own. So here again, we're looking at the timing of the drills, the amount of rest period that needs to be provided. The length of the session is going to be huge. And then again, how stressful is it? And what do we need to do in order to complement what they're doing on the field or in their practice? And so here again, this is used to peak at an athlete's conditioning and it's not designed to get an athlete's in, athlete in shape. We're really just working on the proper movement patterns and making sure their body can recover appropriately when you're doing such high intensity exercises like this. Awesome. So well said. And if we do our job getting them ready for these, we should see a lot less overuse injuries for sure. I hope so. Yes. Yes. Don't train for the sport, train for the movement. <laughs> Unless awesome. you're their, their coach and then it's all the power to you. So Marty, why don't you do the key takeaways sure. here? So again, Go back to this entire model. Think of it like you would for the resistance training part. It's that systematic. Let's just get the mindset around that. So know what stage are safe and appropriate for your client. Understand how to safely program and progress cardiorespiratory, cardiovascular training. You should have, again, plenty of options in your toolbox. Definitely be sure to monitor clients' form and technique because when fatigue sets in or if you haven't taught them well, again, we don't want to overload the musculoskeletal system with bad movement. And then make it an integrated training process where you have a proper warm up, you have your training session, the cool down, and then recovery afterwards and or other days are absolutely essential. Well said. Thank you. So obviously what we'll do now here is we'll give our information in case there's any questions that come in as you guys digest this information. So Wendy, why don't you start us off? Sure. If you guys want to email me, my contact is wendy.bats at nasm.org, or you can find me on Instagram at wendy.bats13. Awesome. And mine's marty.miller at nasm.org, and Instagram is dr.martymiller72. So, Wendy, awesome stuff today. Great content. I hope everyone really gets a lot out of it, and I look forward to seeing everybody here next week.